Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in today's program, you want to consider what Scripture says about the Creator. What Scripture says, not what I say. (laughs) Just wanted to keep that distinction clear, Scott. Well, of course. And the Scripture passage you're going to look at focuses on a single verse, really. That verse is 1 Peter 4.19. Yes, 1 Peter 4.19. Go ahead and read it, Scott. Okay, I'm reading it out of the NIV. And it says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There it is. As clear a statement as one could find about the creator in the New Testament. And what does it say about the creator, Scott? It describes him as faithful. Faithful. How simple and yet profound is that. And what we want to take special note of as we think about what it means for God to be faithful is that of all the identities or characteristics of God, Peter could have used there, and of course that's the Holy Spirit, could have inspired Peter to use. In this particular passage, he didn't say faithful God, faithful Lord, faithful Savior, or protector, or provider, physician, or even faithful Lord Jesus. He all said, of which would have been appropriate. Absolutely. But he said faithful creator. So I think we should understand that in the context of what Peter is writing about here in 1 Peter chapter 4, he wanted the reader to remember God is the creator who is faithful. In other words, he's trustworthy. You can depend on him. But it's very important that we know what he's dependable for, what he's faithful to do. I'd say the bottom line is you can depend on the Creator to do what he says he will do. Yeah, that's important, what he says he will do, not necessarily what we might want him to do. Okay. Uh, Another thing that I want to consider then is it's important to realize why Peter might be making this connection between God's dependability and him being the Creator. What do you think about that? Well, wouldn't one of the connections we can make between the Creator and His faithfulness be the dependability of the creation itself? Absolutely, Scott. I think that's one of the main applications we are to make as we contemplate a faithful Creator. Let's think about it. How dependable is, for example, the rotation of the earth? How <laughs> Hasn't dependable, failed yet. <laughs> yeah. How dependable is the energy? And I'm talking about the heat and light from the sun. Its placement is just perfect. So the earth doesn't completely freeze. The earth doesn't completely dry up all the rain, all the water on the surface of the earth. You know, that's because yeah. of where God placed the sun there on the fourth day of creation. You're talking about things that if they deviated even once, we would be goners. Absolutely. And yet, do we ever think about that? Like I said, do we get up in the morning and going, now, wait a minute, the plans that I have for today depend on the sun not getting too close to fry everything, <laughs> you know, or the moon. You know, the moon is responsible for the tide. The tide keeps our planet alive every day. If the moon got too close, we'd have tsunamis. You know, the people that live on the coast, they're not worried about the tide. Now, if a big storm is coming in, obviously, that can get a little rough. But these are the things that God put as part of creation that we can depend upon. And you know, what if gravity fluctuates and I can't maneuver my car or walk properly? That's silly, but that truly is how dependable the laws of nature, the laws of God are in nature. And so there's an important correlation between the dependability of creation as God made it as creator and his dependability on whatever he says he'll do. You know, Psalm 146 is a great example of this principle of connecting God's faithfulness to his identity as the creator 
Although, frankly, this connection is made over and over and over again throughout the Bible, actually. But in Psalm 146, listen to what it says in verses 5 through 7. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. And Scott, I also think it's really interesting how the NIV translates just verse 6. Why don't you go ahead and read verse 6? Okay, in the NIV it says, The maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, the Lord, who remains faithful forever. Yeah, I really like the way they translate that concept, who remains faithful forever. And that goes along with his creation that he established, whose laws are going to remain faithful forever until he, uh, as he's told us, everything that we can depend on him for is because he has said it. He's told us someday, you know, he's going to wipe it out. But his creation is faithful as long as he keeps it that way. And he is described here in Psalm 146 as the one who remains faithful forever. And so just as in Psalm 146, where the psalmist is encouraging the reader to trust God, in other words, to hope in his faithful creator through severe difficulty, that is what Peter is doing in 1 Peter chapter 4. So I want to go back now to 1 Peter and read our verse again. And this time I'll be reading it from the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, Let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Now, anytime we read the word therefore in the Bible, it's always important to understand what it's there for. (laughs) (laughs) So we can go back to the first verse of 1 Peter chapter 4 and get the context, what Peter's going to be talking about in this chapter. He says here, oh, here's another therefore. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so what Peter is sort of setting us up for is to be thinking about how we respond to suffering, why we're suffering and how we respond to it. So then we'll move down to verse 12. He goes on to say, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also in the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. So what Peter's talking about here is to these saints back in his day, they were suffering mightily because of the persecution that was being uh, brought upon them by the emperor of Rome. Yeah, most people believe he was writing this during the time of Nero. Yeah, exactly, Scott. And so here, now, how does it relate to us? Well, you know, we complain sometimes, we look around and we don't like the kinds of rights that we're losing as Christians in the United States. But I think that we need to be very aware of the fact that it's only going to get worse. At least, you know, if these are the end days and most of us think they are, it's only going to get worse and we shouldn't be surprised by this. It doesn't mean that we're going to like it. And yet, what does he say? That when we're suffering, we should not only recognize that these things are coming, but to the degree that we understand them, that we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. What's he say? To keep on rejoicing. 
That is amazingly difficult to do. How can we possibly rejoice amidst suffering? Well, understand one, the purpose, and two, the end result is going to be what? Well, glory. Glory for us, glory to Christ. And so we can even jump up, it says, yet you may rejoice with exultation because we understand that the promises of God, the end result of these things are going to be fulfilled. And again, why? Because as faithful as God is, as creator, we know we can depend on what he says. He goes on then to say in verse 14, and this sounds like it's right out of the Sermon on the Mount, Scott. Verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You know, that's a very, very sobering challenge hidden in that verse. Because what it's saying is if we're reviled, you know, if we're suffering for the name of Christ, but, you know, a lot of times what we try and do is protect ourselves from uh, persecution, even just from insult, even from just somebody sort of raising their eyebrow and going, what are you talking about? By not mentioning the name of Christ, by not identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ in our age then we don't get the suffering. We don't get the persecution of the reviling that here says, if we're reviled because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. That's a very difficult thing to swallow, isn't it? And yet what this verse is encouraging us to do is name the name of Christ, even though we know it will bring upon suffering because it's the spirit of God then that is doing that in us. And it's the spirit of God that will be recognized by our enemies by those evolutionists who make fun of us in the world around us. So again, then to come to verse 19, with all that in mind, Peter says, therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The text goes on then to talk to elders and tells elders to be faithful even in the face of persecution. But what's really wonderful is, you know, an elder or a pastor, that word in the New Testament comes from the Greek word that also is translated shepherd. And of course, that's what a pastor does, right? He shepherds. Like the word pastoral. Exactly. That's where we get that word. Well, look what it says then in chapter five about the Lord Jesus Christ in verse four. And when the chief shepherd You know, we can translate that, pastor. The chief shepherd appears. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Then in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. That creator cares for you. And the marvelous connection between God being our creator and being our great shepherd is he's told us that he will protect us ultimately through the resurrection. I mean, that's where ultimate care and comfort is going to come, right? Even ultimate healing is going to come. And the marvelous thing to remember is that he's not only willing He is able. Why? Well, look what he did. He created the heavens and the earth. If he can do that, he can do anything. He can protect us through anything if that's his will for our life. Finally, then, I also can't help, just as I think that Peter may have been thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you if you're persecuted for my name's sake, Jesus said, I think Peter might also have had in mind what it says in the great book of Isaiah. There in Isaiah, there's a similar connection made, contrasting the power of a righteous judge and a tender shepherd, both of which are the creator. 
thus reminding us that he will fulfill all his promises that he refers to in Isaiah 40, that he refers to throughout the Bible, as well as what he refers to here in 1 Peter. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, the kind of verse that sort of stands at the beginning of most Bibles. Isaiah 40 verse 8 reminds us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. In other words, his promises, the things that he said he will do, they are dependable. And then look how Isaiah 40 describes him in verse 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. That's talking about him coming in judgment. Hmm. But it goes on then to make this amazing contrast in verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. What an amazing picture of God, the judge, the creator, and God, the shepherd, the one who will care for us. And then what goes on in Isaiah chapter 40 is astounding. One of the most amazing descriptions of God as creator. It talks about who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand, who has marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance. So then, who is it that we can depend upon? 1 Peter 4.19 reminds us, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.